0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, America's Crime Wave and Soft on Crime Policies. This week on Full Measure, that's Sunday, April 24th, I'm going to tackle America's crime wave. My first question in researching the story was, is it real or, as some critics have suggested, is it simply the fabrication of conservative critics looking for political advantage? Well, you will see in the story that I do on Sunday that Democrats I interviewed agreed it is a real phenomenon, this crime wave. But maybe a bigger question is what's causing it. Some say that it's soft on crime policies and the so-called reform prosecutors, which I learned a lot about in researching the story. I found out how many of these reform prosecutors there are, where they are, what their philosophy is, who's funding them. It's a very real phenomenon. You'll see all of that in the cover story. But for this podcast, you'll hear from two people I interviewed for the report. First, Under Sheriff Corey Brown of Monroe County, Rochester, New York where Rochester recently set an all-time record for murders. Then we'll hear from civil rights advocate Robert Woodson, who says the answers to the rampant crime in America's Black community has to come from within. Some insight he had I didn't expect to hear. First, Rochester sheriff Corey Brown. So you've worked in the city of Rochester in law enforcement and now in the county. For people who don't know much about the texture of crime in this area, what is it like historically? And I just talking about an overview.
1: Sure. So, you know, when I first started my career in the early or mid-90s, violent crime was higher. Murders were higher. And then I think in the early 2000s, murder got down to 24, I believe was one of our yearly highs in like 2006, 2007. And then this year, violent crime is just kind of, taken off again. And we've had over 81 homicides in the city and over 400 shootings. In 2021? 2021.
0: How many again?
1: 81 homicides and over 400 shootings. And it's just up tremendously in 2021.
0: And, you know, no, there's not one reason for this. But if you had to summarize what you think is behind this, do you have any thoughts?
1: Well, I think there's so many things behind it. I think so many things have changed in the world in the past few years. And I think... You know, part of it is people's appearance of law enforcement, what they think law enforcement is, and how the police have been treated over the past few years. Part of it, I think, is some of the bail reform changes that they've made. Um,
0: Can you explain what bail reform is? Because we'll probably talk about that in the story, and people use it as a, assuming everybody understands what that is, and I think a lot of people don't.
1: Sure. So, in you know, in, in New York, bail was messed up for a long time. So somebody could commit a, a low-level crime, and because they had no money, they'd stay in jail, where somebody that had money got out of jail. And so that needed to be fixed. And it, everyone agreed that it absolutely had to be fixed. But when they fixed it, they changed it so, for many crimes, people are not going to jail at all. And what that has happened is judges have taken that and gone even further. So now we're getting people that are in possession of a weapon that are immediately released.
0: And they've committed, they've cr- they allegedly committed some crime. They've
1: been caught with a gun. So now you're taking. But being
0: caught with a gun isn't a crime of
1: itself. Being caught with a gun that is not registered to them and they are not allowed to possess it. Correct. So then they get charged with that and we're immediately turning them back out. And what we're not doing is we're not looking out for the community when we do that. And we're not looking out for that person. Right. So if someone's carrying a gun, they're carrying it to protect themselves for whatever reason. So if we're doing nothing to change their environment or to help them, and we're just gonna take them and an hour later put them back out of jail. We are doing no one any favors. And so what are they gonna do? They're gonna go get another gun because the reason that they needed the gun two hours ago hasn't changed. So they still need a gun. So now they're back out doing that. So as we look at crime as a totality in Rochester, I think there's so many things. I think poverty plays a part. You know, I tell people some of these kids when I would sit down and talk to them, they have no hope. They don't have any hope of going to college, getting a great job, having a great career, and live living their life their hope is just to survive right they're living on the streets every day they're selling drugs on the streets every day and they're just trying to get by through today they're not looking at the opportunities that are there to them because they don't see them they're not realizable to them
0: so i'm i'm older than you but i've i've heard this for decades and a lot of money has been poured into creating opportunities and giving hope and starting things and ways for them to get out improving education um, I don't know. I, again, nobody knows, but why do you think we had this stuff hasn't well,
1: taken? Well, I think education's a great one, right? So I was a school resource officer at East High School, which is one of the local high schools in the city of Rochester when I worked for the Rochester Police Department. We would have 600 ninth graders. We graduated 150. And this was 2001 to 2006. So where do the other 450 kids go? So education's a problem. Um, how kids are living at home is a problem, right? If we don't take care of how somebody is safe at home and allow them to be safe at home and take care of that responsibility and make sure they can eat and make sure their well-being is looked after, it doesn't matter what program you have. When you're trying to just to to live and be safe, you don't care about your education. You're just trying to get through the day. So there are lots of programs and I think there's all kinds of reasons how programs need to get better together and we need to focus more and I think we keep trying to do the same thing with some of these kids, though. We're not giving them any real opportunities. We're just—they sound good, but then when you go to actually do something with them, there's no substance to them. There's there's nothing that someone can grab onto. There's not the hope that I can do that. I'll give you a classic example. RIT will give someone that graduates a city high school. RIT is—I'm sorry it's is Rochester Institute of Technology. It's a tremendous school, well renowned for um, my cybersecurity and computers and all of that. They will give someone that graduates city high school that makes under a certain level a free college tuition. All they have to do is get in. There lies the problem. They're not getting in because they're not realizing that's even an opportunity until it's too late. We're not getting to these kids early enough, showing them the hope of going to college and what it's like to live in a college. Things that we take for granted, they're just not seeing. And they're not seeing any opportunity there. So they're back on the street corner instead of saying, well, I can go to college and get a free degree and do all these wonderful things.
0: So let's look at the national picture because I hope to do a story that looks at just all the talk that's going on right now. People who have been around long enough, always hear the communities that are crime ridden want the tougher law enforcement because that's the only way, the really picky, the broken windows concept. And then they do that and a mistake is made or there's some tragedy and then it swings to the hands-off and the crime rises. Do you think that's part of what's happening now?
1: I, I do think that the pendulum swinging is true, and that is what happens. I think when you really go out in the neighborhoods, people want to feel safe. When I was a captain in the city, I would go to community meetings. And I remember one moment, like it was yesterday, she looked at me and said, why can't I sit in my porch without worried about being shot? And I thought, I have no answer for you, and I have to fix that. So you, want, you have people that live in the city that just want to live. They want to be safe. They don't want to deal with the gun violence. They don't want to deal with 400-plus shootings. They don't want to deal with 81-plus homicides. We have to look out for those people because they're not the vocal people, right? They're the ones that are just trying to go about their business every day. So they're not the ones that are getting up and screaming in the media, but they want to live and they want to do so safely. So we can never forget that our job is to make it so they can. So we do that. And the thing that we always have to strive to do better, we have to strive nationally and certainly locally, is to relationships. We have to develop better relationships with our community. We have to find ways that law enforcement in the community can establish real relationships. So when I pull up to somebody, they know that I have three kids. They know I have grandkids. I know that they have kids and grandkids. And we have an actual relationship where we know each other and we can help each other out with whatever that may be at the time. So we we need to spend more time and figure out ways that we can stop fighting against each other. And we get the two vocal things that are just, you know, everyone likes to get in their foxholes and say, I'm not budging, I'm not doing anything, and no work is getting done. We need to get out of the foxholes. We need to talk to each other and figure out how do we work together, how how do we solve problems so our kids can walk our streets safely so they can go to sh- church, school, the playground, the corner store, and not worry about getting shot. We owe that to them, and we owe that to them as a group. So we have to start putting things aside and figure out how can we work together? How can we come up with real strategies? Because you're right, it's been going on for years. You get so much fluff, and you hear people talk, and you hear them talk, and they talk like they're reading a textbook. Well, it doesn't work all the time. You got to actually do real things, and you have to make hard commitments.
0: So does Rochester's homicide rate, when we talk about that, is that the city, doesn't include the county or does it include the county, the numbers? So
1: it is just the city.
0: And um, where does that stand in terms of historic homicide numbers?
1: So 81 is an all-time high. And so when I started in the early 90s, I think it was high 60s, but 81 is an all-time high. And also medical advances since the early 90s are incredible. Right? So part of the reason you would think the homicides went down a little bit was because medical advances have improved so much. So now that the fact that 81 people lost their life in the city of Rochester last year, it's unacceptable. We can't, as a society, accept that. We can't let the pendulum keep swinging so far that we're giving up people's public safety because people that live there want to be safe.
0: What are What is the talk you hear among law enforcement? You mentioned there the national sheriffs are meeting. Is there this recognition something big is happening and we have to do something big to respond? Oh,
1: I think throughout the country, everyone realizes that violence is going up, right? Because violence in cities across the country has gone up. And when we look at things that have happened, right, one of them is the police have been vilified. So if people don't feel comfortable with the police, then they're not going to call the police for help. Right? If you make it so that every time an officer steps out with, someone on the street, that you're gonna vilify them in the media, well, they're not gonna step out on the street, right? They're gonna answer calls for service, they're gonna do their job, but they're not gonna do those proactive steps because the community doesn't want that. So when you do that and violent crime goes up, it starts to swing back, right? Because people wanna be safe. Businesses don't wanna move into a community where violence is, where their customers are gonna get shot. They just won't do it, they'll go somewhere else.
0: So where are we? Let's say the pendulum does swing and we went to maybe a place where there was tough policing and a lot of mistakes. Let's just say for the sake of argument and it's swinging back. Like, where are we on that?
1: I think we're still, we're just starting to swing back. So I think the pendulum's starting to swing back down and I'll be the first to uh, agree that mistakes have been made, right? Things have been done wrong by police throughout the country. When you look at the Floyd incident, it was just a... it was horrible. It was horrific to watch. It was hard to watch all the police chiefs locally. We all got together before anything happened and talked about it. We have to get out and send a message that this is unacceptable. This is not how we will work in police work. So there are mistakes that are that are brought out nationally. As that may never happen. go
0: away. I mean, the, the hard part is.
1: So there's hundreds of thousands of officers doing things every day throughout the country, making life and death, split second decisions throughout the country. Are you going to get those officers that do what what happened to Mr. Floyd? Can never be acceptable. We we always have to make sure that we do exactly what we did in this case. We try them, we convict them, and we put them in prison because that's where they need to be. But what we can't do is vilify all law enforcement because everyday law enforcement is putting themselves at risk, getting violent offenders off the streets. You know, we uh, have a marshal's task force, so we have people that are are from different agencies around the area, in you know, Rochester Police Department and the Sheriff's Office and the State Police. And I think some of the towns are involved and they go out and go out after the most violent, right? These are the people that are wanted for shootings, robberies, guns. And so their job is to go get them, to track them down and take them off the street so that the streets can be safe. We need that to happen. We need to be able to do that. Otherwise, they're just gonna keep committing those violent acts.
0: What do you anticipate your department's going to be doing in the next year differently to try to change those numbers?
1: Wow. So some of the great things that we can do is continue to work on our relationship in the community. Um, as I mentioned, the sheriff's in Albany right now at the Sheriff's Association working with legislators on what can we do? What are some little tweaks that we can do to try to help our community? For example, with bail reform, right? Sometimes in a domestic offense, you could punch your wife in the face, go in front of a judge and be right back out a half hour later. There's not even time for you to find an escape plan, right? There's nothing in the law that allows us to hold on to that person.
0: As we know from that case, was it Texas? The man ran over, allegedly ran over his girlfriend or wife and then was out, ran through the parade.
1: Right. So, I mean, we can't, so there's little tweaks we have to do. And also what happened with bail reform is, you know, we start saying, well, bail reform is a problem. And then they say, well, you know, bail reform doesn't say that the judges have to let people that are brought in on a weapons charge or a robbery charge. The judges have taken that and they've expanded it to now releasing people without bail that are violent. So we need to find a way that we can give judges the opportunity to use safety to to the community as one of their um, criteria for holding people in, right? There has to be a public safety criteria. And I think we're one of the few states in the country that doesn't have that. So we need to give judges that opportunity. I completely agree with get rid of bail. I don't care if you can, if you have money, you get out. If you don't have money, you don't get out. That makes no sense to me, but there's certain crimes that you should stay in for at least to allow the public or your victim to come up with a plan of what they're going to do when you get out or How about this? How about if you're brought in on a violent crime, we do something instead of just pushing you right back out to commit another violent crime. Maybe we can start doing some prevention and some recovery for you so that you can start getting some help that you need so that you're not out there carrying a gun or you're not committing another violent act before we just push you back on the street and say good luck. And so, because of the way the state has gone and the way some things have gone, we've kind of gone to that where now they're just letting people out that should not be let out. So, we need to. Just make tweaks, right? That's one of the ways we can make tweaks. Another way, and I'm sure that you hear this throughout the country is civil service. Everyone wants their police department to look like the community that they serve, right? And that's our goal. Our goal is to diversify our law enforcement agency so it looks just like the community we're serving. Civil service prevents us from doing that. It it was set up to make sure there's not a good old boy network and that's awesome. But I could have somebody that got out of the Marines that did four years in the Marines, that was an MP in the Marines, that's got a college degree, but if he doesn't score high enough on the entrance exam, I can never touch him. There has to be reform that we can work together. So we've been out in the community and looking at different pastors and different legislators and everyone's on board that we need to make some kind of change here with civil service so that we can help law enforcement agencies throughout the country and especially locally here in Monroe County, better reflect the community that we're policing. Because once again, that goes to those relationships and that's what's going to make the difference.
0: My last question is, do you see, I can't say what the relationship is, we were talking, but do you see any correlation between homelessness, mental illness, marijuana legalization, I don't know what the status is here of that, but as we've traveled around the country, an increase in crime? It's almost like some of these things are treated like victimless crimes, and we've seen them escalate in big cities, and then crime does come along with all of that. Again, I don't know the exact relationship, but what do you think?
1: Sure. So I will say mental illness, right? We have to do a better job so that the sheriff's office does not become the number one mental health facility in the community, meaning the jail, right? We're not doing a good job dealing with our mental illness. So we had a great idea, however many years ago, where we had all the people that were put aside, you know, living together that had mental illness, and we just closed it all down. And we pushed them out on the street and said, all right, well, we're going to develop these programs to help them. Well, we didn't develop the programs, and now no one's helping them. So they, not all, a large percentage, though, ended up in the Monroe County Jail. So that causes more crime, right? When people aren't thinking, right, it causes more crime. When you're not helping them and you're just pushing them aside, it causes more crime. So we need to do a better job of dealing with mental illness. You know, marijuana, I think it, it just got legalized in New York State. Um, what happens with that? We'll have to look at where that goes. And, you know, I was just reading an article today about California is having a very hard time dealing with the secondary market, right? Because it's so regulated that the the secondary market or the illegal market is taking away profits and people are having trouble making money from it legally. So now you're creating that secondary market, but it's legal. So now what what in the world do you want the law enforcement to do now? You're saying it's okay to have. So you don't want us going after the secondary dealer, but it's kind of going against what they're trying to do. So those are things that have to be worked out. And, you know, you have to go by what the people want. And our job is to enforce that and figure out where we go with that. But I would say that if we could fix the mental health crisis that we have in this country and really learn ways to better deal with people in mental illness and mental duress, it would be a better place for all of us Especially the person that's experiencing that difficulty.
0: I said last question, just quickie. Is there more of that than when you got law enforcement? Do you think? Why? Why is there? Seems like mental illness is just all over the place in big cities. You know, I, I don't know
1: if it's more of it, but it's very profound. So maybe it's more high profile. Maybe there's more large visible, incidents, yeah. more visible. Um, I'd be willing to okay. bet that most of the incidents with police. Um, not most, but a large percentage of are mentally ill people, right? Some of the things that cause all our problem are when the police are dealing with somebody that's mentally ill and it doesn't go right because the person's mentally ill, but they're violent or they have a weapon. or So they're causing a lot of duress to the community at that point. And then when you have to promote everyone's safety, it, it looks bad. It looks bad on camera, and it's bad for that person, but there's no other alternative at the time. So how do we prevent that? If we really want to work to make a change, how do we prevent that person from going back into crisis? I think that's where we have to really look at resources, and how can we do a better job as a community preventing people from having to go repeatedly into crisis to where now the police department has to deal with
0: it. <sighs> We're going to close the podcast this week with a quick comment or two from Robert Woodson, civil rights and community advocate. He's president and founder of the Woodson Center, which is doing some amazing work in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. We're talking to him about America's crime wave and the solutions. To set up what you're about to hear, I interviewed Woodson outside in a crime-ridden neighborhood of Washington, D.C., right after he let me sit in to listen to a meeting of a group of black men in the neighborhood as they talked about solutions and mentorship. You'll see and hear some of that in Sunday's report on Full Measure. But here's Woodson. And we were listening to everybody speak in there, but it made me think. Billions of dollars have been spent, maybe trillions over the years, providing programs and outside assistance coming in and things to help solve the very issues we're talking about. What happened to that money and why hasn't it had the impact we hoped?
2: In the last 50 years, the government has spent $22 trillion to address problems like this. 70 cents of every one of those dollars goes not to the poor, but to those who serve the poor. Professional providers who parachute in solutions that they've devised with the expectation that change will occur. And only 30% goes directly to the people suffering the problem. So they ask which problems are fundable, not which ones are 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 solvable, and that's why what the Woodson Center has done over the past forty years is that we've looked going into the community suffering the problem to find out what the people experiencing the problem have to say about solutions, and you will hear a different set of remedies. But so what we have we've created a commodity out of poor people, so you got a lot of professionals make a lot of money. The worse the problem gets, the more their funding goes up and the more the people in these communities suffer.
0: Would it be fair to say, when you say there's a commodity out of poor people, that in a way there's a commodity surrounding crime, too?
2: Oh, yeah. I think that uh, you got people on both the left and the right. The people on the left say, well, it's injustice, racism, and therefore we must train white people to be less racist and then you'll have less problems which is false and there, there are people on the right who also point to the problems and 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 complain they they are part of the race grievance industry too when all they do is point out of the evils of the left without supporting remedies coming from the people from within And so uh, it is important to separate people on both sides who are ill-intentioned from those who are ill-informed. And so that's what we're trying to do, provide actual examples of redemption and restoration coming from within the community suffering the problem. But that's not where we're investing. These people are starving to death for resources. They've got the will, the determination, the strategies, They don't have the resources, but instead we're wasting them on stuff like this, shot detectors. What's a shot detector? Shot detector, whenever a gun is fired, that will detect it and it tells the police how many shots were fired. Supposedly it alerts the people so they can call the police. It happens so frequently around here, people ignore it. You have uh, 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 cameras Kids shoot each other in front of cameras. But we. But think about the cost of maintaining it. Police saturation, all hands on deck. The problems will not be solved externally. The problems will only be solved by investing in healing agents that are within the community that have the trust and confidence and experience and knowledge about what these young people are thirsting for. They, they didn't talk about injustice, they talked about personal responsibility. They talked about resilience. They talked about serving as moral and spiritual role models for young people. They said, I'm going to transform and redeem my life so I can be a witness to young people that will summon them to responsibility. I think Mr. Tyrone Parker summarized it perfectly when he says people need to be summoned to responsibility by legitimate healing agents from within the community that have traveled the same road that these kids have traveled. I'm excited about the possibility. We just got the country, got to help the country to invest where the solutions are. They went for a hundred days in this community without a single act of violence.
0: When you say this community, is it the neighborhood you're talking about? What's it called?
2: What is it, uh, Curtis? Green? Curtis, visit, the neighborhoods of Green. Uh, Washington Highlands. Washington Highlands. Washington Highlands community. They went for nine, 100 days leading up to the 4th of July weekend without a single incident. How bad was it before that? Just, it was horrible. Every day, shootings. But they demonstrated that solutions can be effective.
0: Robert Woodson. If you're interested in this topic, you'll want to continue listening to my other podcast this week, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. There I speak with Washington, D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti, and also to one of the George Soros-funded reform prosecutors, Steve Descano of Fairfax County, Virginia. Most interesting. And the entire story will be airing this Sunday, April 24th on my TV program, Full Measure, To find out how to watch near you, you can go to CherylAckison.com, click the Full Measure tab, and there's a list of cities and states. If you don't have a station near you that airs Full Measure, in some places where it airs, by the way, it airs on two stations several times over the weekend and even throughout the week. But if you don't have one of those, you can always go to our website, fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news. You can watch last week's program or any past programs right now. But the week's program streams live on Sundays, right there at fullmeasure.news, at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. All you have to do is go to that site, fullmeasure.news, and you'll see a prompt right around 9.30 that you can click on, or go to fullmeasure.news slash live, and that way you'll be able to see the program first run. If you missed that, no worries. If you happen to be in church or not available, because we post the segments and the full program every Sunday right there at fullmeasure.news usually before noon eastern time another way you can watch is our free app called stir s-t-i-r-r download that you can watch Full Measure live or online there plus they have a lot of other cool programming entertainment local news and more I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will leave a good review subscribe to it and share it with your friends again check out my other podcast the Cheryl Atkinson podcast and by the way Visit my store at CherylAggeson.com. Click the store tab. There are some fun, thought-provoking products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.